to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. In this episode, I'm talking about varieties and oilseed rape with Agri's seed technical manager, John Miles. We will be looking at varietal choice and oilseed rape, considering varietal traits and why the decisions we make choosing a seed variety are so important. So, John, uh, good morning to you. Good morning, Tony. Well, it's a Monday morning, John, uh, so I hope you had a great weekend. As a starting point, it would be great to find out a little bit more about you and your experience. Uh, I know you've got quite a pedigree working in seed breeding and the seed industry in general. So tell us all a bit about that. Okay. Um, yeah, man and boy, I think is the phrase. Um, after leaving college in the dark days of 2002, wanting to be an agronomist, um, yeah, ended up at CPB Twyford. And so have worked on the breeding side and the trial side. And I think with everybody who's in plant breeding, they, they generally stumble into it. And then, and then because they get so enthralled, they don't generally leave. Uh, and that was really the case of why I've been there for the last 19 odd years was um, just found it immensely interesting. And for the last 10 years, I've been the commercial agronomist, the product development manager at what is now KWS, with my role looking at what's coming through, getting the agronomy messages right. Ultimately, you know, you just want farmers to have the best experience possible with those genetics, get them to work right and, and be as profitable as possible. So anything you can learn, um, any do's or don'ts, particularly the don'ts, um, are worth communicating. So kind of I just want people to get on well with this stuff and, and grow it, grow it to the best of their ability. And that, of course, is the end game, isn't it? Is uh, what I'm hearing there is you want growers to well, to have great results growing the crops that they uh, put in the ground. So can you remind us of some of the principles that agronomists and growers should be considering when it comes to actually choosing varieties? Well, one of the key things, the conversations have been for a number of years now is there's a lot of products. How do you choose the right one? It's all a bit confusing. The list has gone to three pages. You know, it's it's kind of... Um, it can, you know, can get a bit, uh, a bit bamboozled by it all. And for me, I've always wanted to be very simple about it. You know, what do you want? What is it you're trying to achieve? Um, how has it got to fit on your farm? Because after several years, many years of talking to a number of farmers, there's no one farm business that looks similar to another one. So I've always thought of it as a shopping list, you know, um, when you go to the summer days and things, have a shopping list of what is it you want from a variety, from a crop type to, to, to tick the boxes on, on your farm. And of course, that's changing at the moment with, you know, we're going to be, uh, we've got the first year of, of reductions in BPS. That's starting to really focus minds, has done for a few years, but, you know, the pressure's really on now. Um, so I think it's how do you, what do you want and how is it going to fit? Now, growers might, you know, obviously yield and profitable yield uh, is, is the key driver. We, you know, there still needs to be some decent level of output at the end. But some of these sort of softer benefits around the outside are, are key to variety choice. You know, it's, it's got to be easy to manage. You know, that's, that's one of the key things where, you know, you get on a farm situation, uh, and particularly these days when there's blocks of land that are a long way away, you know, they actually create some management headaches. And I think, you know, varieties can have a wide, you know, a big impact on on easing those headaches, really. Um, 
there's other things obviously we've you know a lot of people are moved from a plow based system to a min till system and are now moving to a, a direct drill system um, and, and that creates challenges in different soil types in different regions of the, of the country um, different weather patterns but actually crop type and varieties within those crops can can really help so again just a couple of examples of going right what do you want what what is your your ideal when it comes to uh, the solution for that that sort of predicament or that challenge that you've got on farm so yeah that's kind of my long-winded uh, my long-winded uh, uh, principle really and so from a point of view of that shopping list that you mentioned what else what else should be on that list um there's all the traditional elements uh in terms of what what sort of markets you're going to grow for you know some some species like oilseed rape or or barley don't really have too many markets whereas wheat can be quite quite regionalized in 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 what market opportunities there are so there are all the traditional ones about about that sowing date is is another key one you know uh, some areas of the country have gone gone quite a, quite far back into October and other areas of the country because of the weather conditions are you know are, are stuck on the earlier end you know looking at mid you know mid-September drilling so there's all the traditional sort of challenges with choosing varieties that also sit in there um, from there but I mean I think you know we've got challenges with with oilseed rape and flea beetle and that's seen a reduction in the area we're all looking for the next crop we, I think everybody recognises we need a more diverse rotation, but it's how does that fit? You know, can you grow that species successfully? Can 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 you have a local market? Because you know, haulage and availability of truck drivers, and then there's lots of things that it sort of add, you know, sort of filter in, you know, to uh, to your decision point or where you end up. Yeah, and I think what you've just highlighted there, John, is just the range of factors that growers and agronomists have to consider before deciding which crop and indeed which variety to put in the ground. Just coming back to your comment about some of the specific challenges for oilseed rape, what are some of the varietal traits that we can look out for and consider? Yeah, I think oilseed rape has really come under pressure in the last couple of years. The the cabbage stem flea beetle uh, and the lack of seed treatments has shown us how critical it is that everything goes right in the establishment phase. I have a phrase that I like to use called wriggle room, you know, and, and, and that's where varieties can really help in terms of maximising wriggle room because we don't live in a perfect world. There's always stuff going to go wrong. Um, and uh, and actually, you know, if, if you've got a good solution, then you've maximised some wriggle room in there. And with all seed rape, I think we know that we need the weather on our side you know we need to get that crop established uh, and, and up and away um, and if we do get it established and established well it needs to stand and lots of things but uh, you know this sort of vigor um, vigor from a variety point of view is, is probably one of the key things we have seen you know slower types and, and this is where it's quite interesting that on the continent because of the colder winters and things that they have you know, the variety type that is suitable is, is very different. You know, if you're having, you know, standard days are minus 12 and you haven't got any wind cover, you know, sorry, any snow cover from the wind, 
you know, these varieties tend to hug the ground. They're quite, you know, quite short and, and they go outwards rather than upwards. Whereas I've always joked, you know, the, the, the English uh, or the British oilseed uh, rate, we tend to, if you can't lose a Labrador in it, by the time you get shooting, it's not maybe big enough. You know, it's definitely got a hide a spaniel. So we want a very, very different type. Uh, and so, of course, if you want vigour with, you know, it's a balancing act. You want vigour on one hand, but if it is massive, you don't want it falling over on the other. And I think that's probably the key driver um, on the variety front. I think what we've seen in the last few seasons with when the cabbage stem flea beetles really got bad is, is all of those little things that you can do on farm um, have, a, have a really big uh, impact. Yeah, and we can see this spring, can't we, um, in terms of the weather being just so variable, going from that really cold and dry, um, protracted period, and now all of a sudden we've got a forecast showing just endless rain uh, and still quite cold temperatures. And just thinking about the oilseed rape, and you were talking about that varietal choice and giving a little bit of wriggle room. Is that going to be even more relevant and important as we see more unpredictable weather patterns? What's your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think there's, you know, with unpredictable weather patterns, um, they do seem to happen in blocks and they seem to be more extreme. So um, I guess if the you know traits take a long time to develop. Um, and sometimes, you know, that they, they have to be either rewarded in the market, particularly if they're an end user trait, um, but they have to be sort of commercially acceptable. And generally what happens as traits come to market is that, you know, because they come from a, a breeding background, they're not, you know, at the same yield level as, as perhaps some of the, the, the varieties in the market at that time. So it takes a, a, a good amount of work to, to bring them in with a sensible yield level. And I guess with things like pod shatter and turnip yellows, you know, in all seed rape, um, you know, they are in the market uh, at some of the top yield levels. And those two examples, I mean, you know, as you said, if we're, you know, starting to drill earlier or, or, or really just trying to get crops established, um, you know, what if we end up with a, an issue with aphids, uh, you know, and insecticidal options are, are nearly non-existent, then, you know, then turnip yellows, you know, would come into its own. If the, if the, you know, if the weather's warm and the aphid numbers explode, that comes into their own. Pod shatter, I guess we probably haven't had uh, severe um, storms around flowering, uh, sorry, around um, combining time uh, in many places recently. But of course, you know, all that oilseed rape that you've worried about and lost sleepless nights over, um, you know, to actually all end up on the floor for a weather event at harvest, you know, so, so there are these traits out there, and I think they are insurance policies in a way, in terms of, you know, just covering these eventualities, because it does seem that the season, you know, the weather is not as benign as, as perhaps it once was. Um, so I think they will sort of come in. Right. And, and just, you know, with regards to varietal traits in oilseed rape, I mean, there are quite a few that are available within those selection of varieties, aren't there? Uh, you, you mentioned about the turnip yellows, canker, pod chatter. Uh, what others could we be considering? I think for me, verticillium tolerance has been something that's been um, quite key uh, because of the way that rotations traditionally have been quite tight. And obviously we're pushing them out. You know, verticillium is, is soil borne and, and does exist for a good long time in the soil. So 
tolerance to that. And of course, you know, verticillium in, an, in a normal year where there's no stresses, you might not see any impacts. But what we have seen in the dry springs is verticillium really take a burden on the plant. And that's really noxious. So, um, yeah, that's one of my personal favorites is, is verticillium. There are others which sort of seem to be more seasonal. I mean, when it comes to wheat, sorbonne mosaic virus is, is talked about a bit this time of year. People go, what is this in my crops? Um, and there's not many breed, there's not many lines with um, sorbonne mosaic virus. But if you've got sorbonne mosaic virus, it's one of the most important traits for you. So it's kind of one of those, it's a, it's a, it's a resistance gene that's been around before, but commercially it never really sort of, um, uh, you know, it never really sort of comes to fruition as, as something that's really, really important. But as I say, if you've got it, then it's very important. Yeah, of course. And that reminds me of uh, a conversation we had before today, John, where we were talking about the the benefit, uh, the balance between what that seed breeding can offer and what's presenting, I guess, on the farm. So it's it's always going to be a balance, isn't it, John? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think from a plant breeding point of view, you know, some of these traits, particularly some of the new stuff you know, like the BYDV tolerance and resistance we have in barleys and wheats, you know, these things have taken 20, 30 years of development. So there is a there is a price tag that, that it comes with that. Um, this, I guess it's how, how then do you sort of get it into the market? Um, and, and sort of try and, you know, cover some of those costs, but also, you know, uh, don't use it, have it as a barrier to 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 entry into the market, uh, and it's still valuable for the farmer. And I think, yeah, the, the BYDV stuff is probably the most topical one at the moment. Yeah, and of course, uh, I mean, I'm based in the southwest of England, and uh, you know, having uh, seen many a field where we see the effects of BYDV emerge in the spring, it's uh, it's 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 awful, isn't it? Because it's too late. There's nothing that can be done. Um, and of course, even within the southwest of uh, of England, there's going to be areas of a of a farm that are more prone uh, to that problem than others. Um, and so, some of those developments bring huge benefits, don't they? Uh, and I'm assuming also, if actually the available chemistry is limiting as well. Yeah, and I think the the want, the motivation for you know broad spectrum insecticides you know, at the back end of autumn or indeed in the spring, you know, like with 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 um, uh, with blossom midge resistance in wheat, you know, no, I've never met a farmer who who, who didn't who didn't want to uh, stop spraying insecticides in, in early June, you know, um, and kill all the beneficials and the same thing with the BYDV. So I think there's a move to, to, to sort of reducing the use of insecticides um, and, you know, these traits will will definitely help that. I mean, in, in barley, Something I've obviously worked quite a lot on in KWS was was the the, the YD2 tolerance trait. Now, it, you know, the big thing for me was how do we use this on farm? What does it mean? The so what to the farmer, um, you know, and as you say, just touching on, on, on the cost of the stuff, you know, well, you know, does it present value to the farmer? That's that's probably been one of my key things over the last couple of years. And. Tolerance is different to resistance. Um, tolerance is that the, the BYDV virus can be circulating within the plant. So it is there as a, as a, uh, within the plant tissue. So other aphids that do come in and feed could then pick up the virus and, and, and leave with it. So it's, it, it's sort of a, it's not the complete, you know, what you design is the complete option, but it is, it is part, of a, part of a solution. 
But interestingly, where we, you know, the work I've done before with, with quite high levels of APID is that you have complete yield security. So you, know, you, you don't have to then spray insecticide to protect your yield. You know, you could then look at the beneficials coming in to, to, to leave those. And as you say, where do you use it? One of the personal favorites was to be using BYDV tolerant barleys um, in those high risk areas, whether it be the southwest or for the rest of the country, whether it be, you know, on the headlands or next to watercourses where we, you know, we've, we've got pyrethroid buffer zones, uh, whether it be around schools, you know, all or villages, all of those areas where, you know, you could lose significant yield if, if you let BYDV go completely uncontrolled. Um, but also at the same time, you don't really want to be spraying insecticides there. So, yeah, uh, that's where one of the reasons I, or one of the big uses I see for the, the, the BYDV tolerant and resistant material is in those high risk areas. It may well be that, you know, the, the, the trade off or they might be worth it to, to do the whole field. And particularly, you know, when you're talking about some of the things like the, the wheats and the barleys, particularly with the southwest, where, you know, you have to drill at your normal time once you know as you go further west once you get into october it becomes too wet uh, to to really get on but you are in quite a high risk bydv area so you're kind of you know dictated to what your successful drilling date is so if that's where the sticking point is then using a tolerant or resistant wheat can enable you to achieve your early drilling but then you don't have to go and pl- apply loads of insecticides so it will soon be June. It will soon be that time to start thinking about varieties, particularly, obviously, oilseed rape first. What are your top tips for growers and, of course, agronomists as well in terms of what we should really be focusing on when it comes to that important time for choosing varieties? What are your views, John? Yeah, OK. I think when I thought about this, the I think we've had some very, very tricky autumns, but we hopefully should have learnt what some of our biggest pinch points are. Now, I think when we sat here last June, then we would have gone, we can't have another autumn like that one, can we? That was awful. And then we did. So I wouldn't, uh, you know, I mean, we could have a very dry autumn or we could have another challenging one, you know, another block of weather comes in. So I think for me, sort of top tip for considering varieties is again, going back to what do you want? Because, you know, have we got to think about our scenario of, a, of another wet autumn? And to help with those important decisions, could you remind us of the main go-to places for that varietal information, John? I think you've got the, you know, you've got a good old recommended list. Um, I think field days, you know, the recommended list is an umbrella for the whole country. The field days and your local information is where you really dial in. I agree, we've obviously got the agri-advisory list which your agronomists have access to. And that's kind of putting our information in with it to, you know, to supplement the RL, fills in the gaps, things like verticillium and autumn and spring vigor, particularly for oilseed rape. And the new way of thinking about varieties, which was launched the other year, is the variety sustainability rating. Thank you, John, uh, for your time today and also for your expertise and giving us something to think about when it comes to varietal selection and oilseed rape. And interestingly, some of the varietal traits that we should be looking out for that could be helpful on farm. Choosing the right crop and variety is, after all, a huge decision growers have to make in the farming calendar. That's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season. 
exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions that you would like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.